Welcome to Dishing Up Nutrition with licensed nutritionists and dietitians from Nutritional Weight and Wellness. We explain the connection between what you eat and how you feel. Stay tuned for practical, real-life solutions for healthier living through real food nutrition. Slow down, you move too fast. You got to make the morning last. Well, welcome to Dishing Up Nutrition, brought to you by Nutritional Weight and Wellness. I'm Darlene Kavist, Certified Nutrition Specialist and founder of Nutritional Weight and Wellness. You know, I started Nutritional Weight and Wellness almost 30 years ago with the intention, and I was already old by that time, (laughs) with the intention of teaching people how food affects their health. Then about 13 years ago, we started spreading the Eat Real Food message worldwide with our live Dishing Up Nutrition radio show, which then quickly turned into podcast featured on iTunes. We didn't know what we were doing. It just (laughs) happened. Right. You know, we've had numerous topics, but today's show on macular degeneration may just be one of the most important topics we've had the honor to bring to you. We're going to discuss how food, think about this, how food affects macular degeneration with ophthalmologist and author Dr. Chris Kenobi. Joining me today on the other mic, right over there, yes. to help ask our, quest- our guest all the key questions and to take your phone calls, because I think many people are going to want to call in today. And this is Leah Wetzel. She's a certified nutrition specialist, and we're going to have a great show, Leah. We are. Good morning, Dar. Good. So last fall, Dar and I both attended an amazing presentation on eye health at the Western of the Wise Tradition Conference held in Minneapolis, Minnesota. We both agreed that we needed to spread that message of what you eat affects your vision, which may be a new thought for some of you. I know a lot of people, I bet they're saying, really? Yeah. What I eat affects my vision? So this morning, we are so pleased to have Dr. Chris Kenobi joining our discussion today by phone. Dr. Kenobi is an ophthalmologist and author of Ancestral Dietary Strategy to Prevent and Treat Macular Degeneration. Now, that is a mouthful. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Kenobi has also been a clinical associate professor at the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center and currently is the founder and president of Cure AMD Foundation. A lot of things he's doing. Right. Welcome, Dr. Kenobi. Thanks for being on. Thanks for being on today. You've written a remarkable book full of hope. We know that macular degeneration is at an epidemic level today, and it is a leading cause of blindness. If it's okay with you, we want to ask you many questions, but please keep in mind that many of our listeners have been listening and uh, us talk about the evils of refined oils and trans fats and sugars for several years, while some of our listeners are just tuning in today for the first time. Dr. Kenobi, it's great. It's delightful to have you on the show. And we want to help you spread your important message worldwide. So let's dig right into all the questions that we have this morning. Yes. So first of all, can we just call you Chris? Absolutely. <laughs> I prefer that. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, so Tell listeners, what is macular degeneration? 
Well, first of all, good morning, Dar and Leah. Good it's morning. It's truly an honor and a pleasure to be on your, your brilliant show. I, I love your show. And oh, thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Anything at all that gets the word out about food choice and age-related macular degeneration is great work. So I thank you both and your entire team for helping to further spread what I believe is a vision-saving message. So, uh, we, we totally yeah. agree with you, and that's why we were excited. When I heard you at the conference, I, I turned and I saw Leah, and I thought, we have to have Dr. Chris on. <laughs> right. yes. Thank you. Thank you. So, well, to your question, so age-related macular degeneration, which you know, we'd normally call AMD, is the leading cause of irreversible vision loss and blindness in people over the age of 65 worldwide. So the macula itself is back at the central retina, at the back of the eye. It's where the light is focused, and it accounts for about the central 10 degrees of vision. So the, the macula is only about six millimeters across. It's about a quarter of an inch. But, wow, of course, that's... I would argue that's the most important quarter inch of tissue in our whole body. Mm-hmm. So if the macula undergoes degeneration, we lose central vision. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of how severe that is, which would determine how much vision loss we have. So if the AMD is really severe, we might end up with a large central blind area in our vision. So that's a kind of amazing. It's it's only like you said a quarter of an inch, right? Is that right. what you said? Okay, yeah, a quarter of an inch. Wow. So, what are the risk factors of developing AMD or age-related macular degeneration for people living in the U.S.? Yeah. So, since 1992, the the risk of developing AMD in the U.S. and and many other developed nations has been nearly one in three. So it's incredible, but almost one in three Americans can expect to develop some degree of AMD in their lifetimes. Worldwide, one of every 11 people over the age of 50, which is 8.69% of those over the age of 50, already have or they will develop AMD. So the risk overall of developing this disease is staggering. Yes, it has to be. It's amazing because if you think, you know, I always put this in perspective. I think, okay, about 10% of the people are chemically dependent, they say. I think it's higher than that. Mm-hmm. But they've always said that in the past. So we almost have as many people with macular degeneration as people with chemical dependency. That's, that's kind of amazing, isn't it? Right. Wow. I mean, yeah. you know, we never think in terms of that. Yes. So what then was the risk of people developing macular degeneration, say, 100 years ago or so? Glad you ask. (laughs) The the short answer, because this is what I, you know, you have to get to right away in in order to to think about my, our thesis. But the short answer is that in the late 19th and early 20th centuries, from around 1850 to 1920, there is ample evidence to conclude that that macular degeneration was an extremely rare disorder. And then AMD began to increase in frequency in the 1930s, at least in the United States and the, and the United Kingdom. And by the 1970s, we were at epidemic proportions of disease in both of those nations, mm-hmm. with, with most other developed nations um, following suit, like Japan, China, India, and so on. 
So let me, now let me just back up. I want to say that, if I could, in, mm-hmm. in 2013, when I first, this is the first time I understood ancestral nutrition principles. That's when I, that's when I came across Weston A. Price's book, Nutrition and Physical Degeneration. Mm-hmm. And after understanding that, I developed this hypothesis in my mind at that point for the nutritional basis of macular degeneration. So now I've been in ophthalmology since 1991, and let me just say, we ophthalmologists have collectively believed for many decades that macular degeneration is a result primarily of aging and genetics. So when I began to consider back in 2013 that macular degeneration might be caused by a faulty westernized diet, that it might follow man-made processed food consumption, just like heart disease, cancer, hypertension, type 2 diabetes, obesity, all that. Mm-hmm. I knew that if my hypothesis held water, if it were valid, not necessarily true, but valid, the first thing we'd need to be able to show is that macular degeneration has been increasing in prevalence. If the disease was once rare, or it was rare in certain populations, and now we have epidemics of disease, then we have to ask ourselves what induced the increased prevalence of disease, right? Right. And so back in 2013, I had no idea what the prevalence of AMD was historically, so I began to investigate that. And I was literally you know, shocked to find, first of all, this had never been researched. In fact, it took me months to, to give you this, the answer that I'm giving you today, because only one other ophthalmologist had ever thoroughly researched this, this you know, the, the history of macular degeneration uh, historically, and, uh, and actually published the findings. And this was an obscure paper that I came across after I'd already done my investigation. But without getting into all that nitty-gritty detail, let me just say that that what I found was that, you know, ophthalmologists could first see the macula back in 1851 after Hermann von Helmholtz designed the ophthalmoscope. Since 1851? 1851, right. Okay. And just, you know, just a, a quick, uh, you know, nugget here is that it was, after he, it was 23 years after he published this design and ophthalmologists all around the world were using ophthalmoscopes before even the first cases of macular degeneration were described. So as I said, that it was an extraordinary medical rarity up until the 1930s, and then it's had rising prevalence since that time. Wow. So, Dr. Chris, you know, I think, well, I actually have a friend, a good friend, a friend since fifth grade, which is a long time ago, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that has macular degeneration. And, uh-huh. of course, I think she believes that it is a genetic condition. Right. So... I think, Leah, we do have to take a break, right? right? And so, Dr. Chris, let's kind of, I want you to reemphasize that it is not a genetic condition. It looks, it's more a food problem. Yes. When we come back from break. All right. That sounds great. All right. right. You are listening to Dishing Up Nutrition, brought to you today by Nutritional Weight and Wellness. Today, we are talking about how food affects our vision with special guest, Dr. Chris Kenobi, an ophthalmologist and an author of the book, Ancestral Diet Strategies to Prevent and Treat Macular Degeneration. Questions about eye health? Give us a call today in the studio at 651-641-1071. Well, welcome back to Dishing Up Nutrition. Dr. Chris Kenobi's book, Ancestral Dietary Strategy to Prevent and Treat Macular Degeneration, digs deep into the science of macular degeneration. 
so that we as listeners can fully understand why we have an epidemic of macular degeneration today. You know, this condition virtually did not exist just 100 years ago. So we have to ask, what has changed? What were we eating 100 years ago? And well, what are we eating today? Right. Those are great questions. Yes. Yes. Right, right. So, well, if we go back just a little further than 100 years, if we go back to 1880, uh, then everyone on the planet was consuming ancestral diets. This was the case because at that time there was no refined white flour, there was no vegetable oils, there was no artificially created trans fats. We had sugar, but in very small quantities. So, so we got refined white flour beginning in 1880. First vegetable oil production, cottonseed oil. That also came in 1880. Uh, Procter & Gamble started producing Crisco, our first artificially created trans fat in 1911. Yes. And all of these foods and then sugar all began to increase in consumption uh, over time. And essentially what happened was that these foods began to replace and supplant all of our nutrient-dense foods, as, as you all know. So by 2009, 63% of the American diet, this, this good old standard American diet with the appropriate acronym SAD, right? It was made <laughs> up of those four foods. This, so this is the recipe for metabolic disaster. Mm. And um, now you guys have known this for a long time. Right. I just learned this in, in, in 2011 is when I first learned this. But anyway, so... This is the recipe for metabolic disaster, the, all of these foods, and this is what, of course, leads to heart disease, cancer, type 2 diabetes, metabolic syndrome, hypertension, obesity, and, of course, I believe, macular degeneration. And our research supports this conclusion because we've looked at the data regarding processed food consumption and the development of macular degeneration in 25 nations. Wow. And in short... What we can conclude is that when people consume these processed food-laden diets for 30 years or more, particularly those that contain the polyunsaturated vegetable oils, which I, you know, most of us call the PUFAs, then we see macular degeneration uh, hitting in epidemic proportions. So we see elevations to, you know, to double digits of prevalence uh, in terms of... Uh, the rate of macular degeneration. So, Dr. Chris, let's go back over this a little bit. Now, okay. when you say PUFAs, a lot of people, a lot of our listeners, of course, understand that, but a lot of our listeners have no idea what you're talking about. So would you just list some of those fats that are in that category that yeah. people yeah. are consuming now, but they weren't over 100 years ago? Yes, absolutely. So, the PUFA stands for polyunsaturated fatty acids, and the ones that that are that are on that list really are soybean, corn, canola, cottonseed, rapeseed, grapeseed, sunflower, safflower, and rice bran. That's yeah. all the ugly ones. So the <laughs> the healthy oils are the tropical oils: um, coconut, palm and palm kernel, and then we've got olive oil. And I think if you get, you know, real, uh, true, uh, uh, actual olive oil that's not adulterated with these PUFAs, then, then, you're, then you're safe with those. But, but the PUFA oils are around 97 or 98% percent of the oils consumed in the U.S., wow. and they're just a disaster 
to our health, so, and, and particularly for macular degeneration. Can you describe to people what happens to the macular when the people use those oils? I mean, I know this. I'm just throwing this question out at you because <laughs> that's you what mean, I would want to know. <laughs> you mean what happens to the eye itself? Or yes, to the, to, vision, the, or? to the eye itself, to the vision. That's what people are looking for. What happens when they use these bad fats? Yeah, so, um, well, it's a really long answer, and it's hard to, um, uh, it's hard to uh, um, summarize. But, well, let me just say, first of all, in terms of vision, you know, the first thing that's going to happen is people are going to ha- start to have, you know, subtle visual loss. I okay. mean, they're, they're going to have, they, they might just be, might think they're just getting older and they might begin to experience some definite blurring of vision, some little blind areas in their central vision, but they're never going to come in and say, I've got blind areas of vision. They're just going to say, I can't see as well, I can't see to drive at night, or I can't read very well, things like that. And if the, and that's, that's what would be uh, consistent with the dry form of macular degeneration. But if macular degeneration goes wet, then they can get distorted vision, which we call metamorphopsia. So things that should be straight turn wavy. Um, but, and then, so what's happening, you know, at the pathologic, you know, at the microscopic level is really that, um, now, I can't prove this, but it's, it's a sub-hypothesis, mm-hmm. really, is that, number one, I think that the um, vegetable oils are contributing to uh, vascular disease at the back of the eye. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the, the eye ha- needs a vascular supply more than any other organ because it's, it's so phenomenally metabolically active. And so what we see is that the choriocapillaris, uh, that feeds the retina uh, with you know nutrition and oxygen undergoes uh, occlusion, and so we see loss of choriocapillaris. We see thickening of Brooks membrane, which is the layer that sits between the choriocapillaris and the retina proper. And I think you know I believe that this that Brooks membrane will thicken in response to these oils and perhaps trans fats. And it produces a barrier to get oxygen and nutrients to Mm -hmm. the photoreceptors, the rods and cones, and to the retinal pigment epithelium that supports those rods and cones. And so ultimately what happens is that the retinal pigment epithelium, what we call the RPE, it begins to um, undergo degeneration and those cells begin to die. And each one of those RPE cells supports 30 photoreceptors, 30 rods rods and cones. So when the RPE cells die, the photoreceptors die. And the, and the bad news is that neither of those are regenerative. We only get one set. And so if they're gone, they're gone forever. We can't bring them back. So this is why, you know, it's so important to correct the diet early and prevent vision loss. It's like a lot of things. You know, it's like having a stroke or heart attack. You know, you, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, right? Exactly. Right. Yeah, so, so that's what's going on. In, okay. In, in, and that's the dumbed-down, dirty version. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which is still very complex. I know that, uh, that, Dr. Chris, we have a lot of callers on the line, so... Leah, yes. should we take a caller? Yeah, let's try to fit one in before our next Absolutely. break. Okay. Awesome. Susie, thanks for calling Dishing Up Nutrition. You have a question for Dr. Kenobi today? 
Good morning, Susie. Hi, hello. Thanks hello. for holding. Um, yeah, so I do have a question. I'm um, of 45, and I've been diagnosed with macular degeneration. I have the wet version where I have, I feel the vision gets wavy in the middle, and I require injections about once or twice a year to clear up that issue. Um, I'm wondering about diet and how that possibly could reverse some of these issues I'm having. Great. That's a great question. Yes, that's what we wanted to get to next. So you talked, Dr. Konomi, about this ancestral diet. Can you kind of describe what that entails that would be helpful for her? Yes. Well, Susie, thanks for the question, first of all. and It's a great question. And let me just say, first of all, that, um, you know, ancestral dietary strategy really is it's great at any point, but once you've gone, to, you know, gotten so far as to have wet macular degeneration, you absolutely must follow your uh, ophthalmologist's advice and have the anti-VEGF injections that basically prevents these vessels from growing up under the retina and leaking and bleeding and causing havoc. Right. And so, um, but as far as um, you know, an ancestral diet at Susie's stage, I think it's always appropriate, but you can't rely on that at, at this point, essentially, for your only treatment. So, so I, but I do believe that, that it is by far the best thing that she could, you know, possibly do in, uh, I mean, along with her ophthalmologist's treatment. So yeah. you, you basically do both together. It's never too late to get started. And at her age, it's, it would be really important to get on a diet that's going to help prevent progression of her disease. Correct. Hey, so, go okay, ahead. Go, go ahead. No, go ahead, Leah. I was going to say, unfortunately, we have to take a break, but we definitely want to hear the nitty gritty specifics of, of uh, your answer to the question. So if you guys can just hold for one second on break. You are listening to Dishing Up Nutrition. If you are concerned about your vision, Dr. Chris Kenobi recommends five food groups to avoid. Number one, white flour. Number two, sugar and high fructose corn syrup. Number three, the polyunsaturated vegetable oils. So examples of that would be soybean, corn, cottonseed, canola, or also called rapeseed, grapeseed oil, sunflower, and anything labeled vegetable oil. Uh, number four is trans fats as shortening or margarines. And number five is processed foods. This is also our recommendation from all of us at Nutritional Weight and Wellness. And it has been the same mis message for the past 20 years. Exactly. We'll be right back. Hey, Cravings, what's up? Not you, because I'm taking you down. Oh, didn't see that coming? Because I've always buckled under your pressure? Well, this is my house now. So bring it, ice cream. You want a piece of me cake? I see you in the pantry, potato chips. See, this super chick got herself to nutritional weight and wellness and learned that cravings aren't a willpower thing, more like a blood sugar, mineral deficiency, digestive thing. And eating in balance slays the beast. Animal protein. Healthy fats. Vegetable carbs. The Temptation Taming Trifecta. Make you shrink and me shine. Do I feel deprived? <laughs> Not when I'm armed with my nutritional weight and wellness num-num chucks. So step off, cravings, or I'll swing you into oblivion. <laughs> I guess I'm
guess I better clean this up. Learn how to conquer your cravings with the Nutrition for Weight Loss program at Nutritional Weight and Wellness, on-site or online. Visit weightandwellness.com. Well, welcome back to Dishing Up Nutrition. Dr. Kenobi's daughter said, it's just too hard for most people to figure out how to eat healthy. And we agree, it is difficult to figure out how to eat with all those mixed messages out there about what's good for you and what's not good. At Nutritional Weight and Wellness, it is our mission to help you learn to eat healthy, and it is our mission to provide the motivation for you to eat healthy. You know, we provide individual nutrition therapy sessions, which are sometimes covered by insurance, and we teach our weight and wellness series either weekly or in weekend seminar type style where you get all six classes in one weekend or we break it down into 12 weekly sessions called nutrition for weight loss so you have to ask yourself how do you personally like to learn do you prefer to learn over a weekend or in 12 weekly focused interactive sessions you know we have a number of options for you so now it's up to you call 651-699-3438 to sign up or to ask all the questions that you want to, or you can go to our website at weightandwellness.com to read about us and get more information. Lots of ways to do it. Great. So before break, we were getting into the nitty gritty about the ancestral diet and how it can be beneficial um, for macular degeneration. Uh, Dr. Kenobi, do you want to get into some more specifics in relation to the diet that you found beneficial? Sure, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, first of all, let me just say that an ancestral diet is, is any diet that existed anywhere on the planet prior to 1880. Um, because back then there was no processed nutrient-deficient foods anywhere on the planet with the exception of sugar in small quantities. I think I mentioned this, but... Mm-hmm. But um, so what, we sh- what we're seeing really is that um, as we have begun to consume westernized processed foods, like particularly what we saw in the U.S. and the U.K., is that after consuming um, these foods for about 30 years or more, we began to develop uh, epidemics of macular degeneration. And I think that, you know, that is, um, it's it's driven by uh, westernized foods in general, but I think of all of those, I think that the the one that is most important is the vegetable oils. Mm -hmm. And if I might mention what we found in the uh, South Pacific Islands, um, salt, Samoa, Solomon Islands, and Kiribati, three island nations in the South Pacific, um, these people are living on basically ancestral diets. Now, not exactly anymore today, but over the last five decades, since the 1960s, they've been consuming mostly ancestral diets because they're, they're such uh, poor nations that these big food manufacturers don't even want to sell products to them. So they actually get no vegetable oils. And what we found from all of their ophthalmologists down there who helped us in this research is that their prevalence of macular degeneration is about 0.2%. Wow. So so we have here in the U.S. 74-fold more AMD on average than they do. And really the, the huge difference is vegetable oils. They don't get them. 
we get a boatload of them. So what we would say in a very practical way, if you walk into your kitchen and you have vegetable oil there or soybean oil or corn oil. Or canola oil. Throw it out. Yep. Absolutely. Throw it out. That, that stuff should be labeled with a skull and crossbow. Right. Every <laughs> single one of them. So what fats are they consuming then? Yeah. In the South Pacific, you mean? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, they're consuming. Well, first of all, what, they, what they're consuming mostly is um, they're living off the land, which, you know, they're very, very, um, they're very poor nations, but, but that's actually a good thing in terms of health, you know. So they're living off of uh, fish and other seafood that comes right out of the sea, um, some root vegetables, and then they, and they get some fruit and they get, the only oils they're using come from almost exclusively coconut oil, which, as you know, is is a great thing. Mm-hmm. It is great. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, t- today you still see our Harvard nutritionists um, poo-pooing the, uh, you know, coconut oil because it's saturated. And, but, you know, they don't get it. And, um, and you know, so far they're, 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 they're not going to, it doesn't look like. But... Yeah, these oils turn out to be fantastically healthy. And wherever people are consuming saturated fats, animal fats, and saturated uh, tropical oils, uh, which is, uh, again, coconut, palm, and palm kernel, I think we're, you know, we, we see those people in really good shape. So the other saturated fats that come from animals you would recommend would be like butter? Butter. Right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, you know, eat all the um, the animal fat that you that you want. Um, um, saturated animal fat is extremely healthy. So, mm-hmm. and and along those lines, so whole raw milk would be fantastic. Um, so is butter and eggs. And if you know, in terms of butter and eggs, I strongly recommend trying to get get those from pastured animals um, because then the uh, fatty acid profile is going to be the best. But, but, uh, but just plain, even if you can't do that, just butter and eggs would be fantastically more healthy and safe than any kind of vegetable oil. Right. That's great. So those, that's great advice for Susie, who we, we before caller uh, break, that she is um, the wet mecular, which you recommend definitely still following suit with what her doctor has recommended for her to do. But additionally, one of the biggest things is, is a takeaway is take away those vegetable oils, add in the traditional animal fat oils and the coconut oil, the saturate fats from unprocessed forms. And that's a huge... That's a huge change and a huge shift for the eyes. So, Galia, yeah. should we take another caller? Do we have time? We do have a little time. Okay. Yes. Yes. Uh, Patricia's been waiting very patiently online. Thanks for calling Dishing Up Nutrition, Patricia. You have a question today for Dr. Chris? Yes, I did have a question. Thank you. I noticed I have been living recently in assisted livings and, and institution type things. Uh-huh. And all of the food is processed food. And yes. I don't know, I was wondering if there's some, well, I've noticed that a lot of people in these facilities, which are elderly, are having immaculate generation. And I was trying to figure out, what is this that is yeah. causing so much of this? Yep. So and how? It is, I can see, you know, just in the population I am familiar with, 
that it is getting to be a lot of people. So how do you make a change in that one? Isn't that, that's going to be a big challenge for you. Yep, that's a pretty big challenge for the for the population. For exactly. The, right. for communities. Mm-hmm. And how do, we cha- how do we change that? How do we, how do they understand that? I don't know, I guess. We ask for others, other things when we're there, when we are, when we are living there and when we are eating. However, so Dr. it's almost impossible for them to do it. Well, it isn't impossible. It's it's mm-hmm. a mindset. Okay. So, okay. but it, you know, I don't know, Doctor Chris. Do you have any ideas on how do how do we make a change and get back to real fats versus all these processed bad fats? I'm concerned right. about the schools. Pat- also. Patricia raises um, an incredibly important issue because, and I think what you know what she's saying is is so true. Uh, restaurants. Um, nursing homes, assisted living facilities, cafeterias, they're all cooking with vegetable oils. Why? Because same reason that we got vegetable oils in the first place. They're tremendously cheap. Yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, it costs them a whole lot more money to cook with, with real butter. And, you know, I mean, you know, you can just pour in a few, you know, a few cups of uh, vegetable oil for, I mean, literally just, you know, pennies or, or nickels. But, but uh, in terms of getting them to change that, I think it's, it's extremely hard. So what, when we go out to restaurants, I actually am very, very cautious about about it and and if they're going to cook something for me where i think oil might be involved i actually ask them if they will cook it in butter and a lot of times you know the the waiter or waitress will go back and and they'll and then they return and they give me the verdict you know it's either yes we will no no problem or sometimes they say we don't even have butter in this restaurant and so then you have to choose something where they where you know that they're not putting butter like if you get just a piece of you know a um, piece of meat piece of chicken um, vegetables with you know that have been steamed or whatever and then maybe you could put a pat of butter on those things and you know add your cuz they'll probably they may be able to give you butter on the table or something like that but yeah i just think that uh, even in even in that situation if you understand the principle there might be some ways to try to work around it because I doubt you're going to get the, them to change their policy about how they cook the food. Yeah, so finances are the, is the basic reason. Yes. Exactly, finance is big. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you for your call, Patricia. Well, it's break time again. You are listening to Dishing Up Nutrition, and next week we have a great topic called "Can Stress Cause Weight Gain." Kara and Carolyn will be discussing how stress biochemically can cause weight gain and how you can manage your weight with uh, weight gain with food. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Dishing Up Nutrition. You know, to be sure we don't run out of time. Yeah. I personally want to thank Dr. Chris Kenobi for being on today and for writing his book. It's a great book. It's Ancestral Dietary Strategies to Prevent and Treat Macular Degeneration. It's not an easy read, but it's readable. So, <laughs> so, and I know you took what four to six years on researching this topic. So it, yes. yeah, I mean, it took a long time, and you can tell when you read the book. And you know, really, thank you so much for being on the on our show today because we have so many callers, Chris. 
Um, I think we need to have you on again sometime, just (laughs) just to to. take callers. Yeah, that'd Um, be great. You know, and if people need to change their diet, that's what we do. Right. That's our expertise. And we take you step by step through this. So it's not overwhelming. Right. Yeah. So, you know, Dr. Kenobi, if we're using real fats, like we had talked about earlier, like unrefined coconut oil or palm oil or butter or lard or or unrefined olive oil, what are the nutrients that are helpful for our eyes? That we get out of those fats, yeah. basically. Right. Well, so I think that... What we're missing, and and I've reviewed this in detail in the book, is that, in a nutshell, we're we're missing the same fat-soluble vitamins that are so critical in all these other degenerative and metabolic diseases. It's vitamins A, D, and K2. Mm -hmm. And as you know, um, those really have to come from animal sources. I mean, in order to be... In order to get these in sufficient quantities, as Weston Price showed back in the 1930s, that all of these uh, traditional living peoples were consuming 10 times more of these fat-soluble vitamins than we were. Though, and, and while we're on the subject, four times more water-soluble vitamins, which is all the B vitamins and C, and one and a half to 60 times more minerals than were the American people of the 1930s. And I think it's exactly the same situation with the eyes. The, um, you know, vitamins A and D are, are critical to, they're, they are, um, they're critical to signaling um, the production of these proteins. And, and then vitamin K2 t- uh, tends to overall activate a lot of those proteins. And, um, you know, it's, these vitamins are important not only to the development of the eye, but to the maintenance of the eye, and uh, and they're absolutely absolutely critical to the to the health of the retina. So when we're missing all of these uh, fat soluble vitamins, which which we are, especially if we're following uh, orthodox uh, uh, advice in this nation to avoid. You know, avoid eggs, avoid meat, um, whole milk, all those things where, you know, would have provided some of these fat-soluble vitamins. We're just in a world of hurt because we're, we're very deficient in the fat-soluble vitamins. So, so it's, it, it's always it's interesting to me because it's the exact same things that are leading to all this other disease is what's leading to macular degeneration. Well, you know, in your book, Dr. Chris, you, had a, you, you wrote a story about, pigs and right. and when they are lacking vitamin a would you just tell our cl- our listeners about that that story yeah so in a nutshell um this was reviewed by um by weston price in his in his book book back in the 1930s so there was this uh, professor fred hale uh, who worked at what was uh, it's a division of texas a&m done in College Station, Texas, and in the 1930s, Fred Hale did this research where he, uh, he uh, deprived uh, mother or would-be mother pigs of vitamin A for a few months, fed them completely vitamin A deficient uh, foods for several months, and then allowed them to become pregnant and deprived them, completely deprived them 
of vitamin A for another month after pregnancy began. So, so baby pigs, uh, their, their eyes develop in the first month of gestation. Mm-hmm. So all of these pigs born to these deprived mothers were born without eyes, and they had all sorts of other birth defects, but they had no eyes at all. But these baby pigs then, he put them on, a, on a, essentially a normal diet, gave them vitamin A. They grew up, and then they were able to mate. And these pigs then that had no eyes themselves were able to produce offspring. All of their litters had completely normal eyes and completely mm-hmm. normal vision. And so, you know, what physicians would say most of the time today when we, they see if, if a child was born without eyes or they have a cleft lip or palate or something, they say, well, you know, it's just uh, bad genetics, right? It was a genetic, it was a mutation and, you know, the fourth kid, whatever, um, rather than say, oh, you know, could this have been a nutrient deficiency? And in this case, this proves that these you know, baby pigs without eyes grew up, um, had normal genetics themselves. Given the right nutrition, they could, uh, they could give birth to normally sighted pigs. And I think if we look at this in relation to macular degeneration, it just shows us how fantastically important vitamin A is just to the development of the eye, but I think also to the maintenance of the eye uh, health itself. So I think some of the listeners might be saying, well, what do I need to eat to get vitamin A? Right. So I think that we need to get vitamin A in the form of retinol. Retinol is the form of vitamin A that um, is the active form in our bodies. And um, so... You know, if you go into the grocery store, you see all these signs on all, on all these leafy greens that yes. say good source of vitamin A, right? Right. And there is no vitamin A in any, in any plants. There's That's right. no actual vitamin A. What there's there is, is carotenoids. Right. And there's something like 600 carotenoids, I believe, in the world, but there's about 60 of those that actually can be converted to vitamin A in our bodies. So that's alpha-carotene, beta-carotene, and, and beta-cryptoxanthin. Um, of those, beta-carotene is the, is the most prominent. But, um, but when you try to depend on, vitamin, on, on uh, uh, carotenoids from uh, you know, leafy greens and vegetables for your source of vitamin A, um, that's, a, that's a very uh, tenuous situation. And the reason for that is because, first of all, just on a genetic basis alone, half of us would be good converters of, of carotenoids to vitamin A. Another fourth of us would be half as good as those people, so they're pretty poor at converting carotenoids to vitamin A. And then the other fourth is lousy. They're terrible at converting uh, carotenoids to vitamin A. Then you have, so that's just the genetics. Right. Then you, you've got gut issues. So if your microbiota in your gut is not proper or if you have hormone issues, like if you have hypothyroidism or thyroid disorders, if you have zinc deficiency, a, a number of other things can affect your conversion of carotenoids to, to uh, vitamin A. And so you really cannot depend on getting your vitamin A from plant foods, you need to get it from animal foods. Well, the best one is liver. 
Yes. And what I recommend is three ounces, three, three and a half ounces of beef liver every week, once a week, um, is the way to go because that'll supply around 20,000 to 53,000 international units of vitamin A. We need 3,000 3, to 5,000 IU of vitamin A per day, each one of us, and we need more than that in times of stress. Like, you know, if you have an infection or, or you're injured or you're pregnant, you're going to need a lot more. But so you want to you stock up. Well, you stock up, you know, your, your liver is what stores this vitamin A. So that, and so, then if people aren't, aren't into liver, what are others, some, like butter and salmon? Right. and Yeah, so if you don't get, if, let's say you can't stomach liver, or you just can't stand it, you may, it makes you gag, or you haven't figured out a way to consume liver, then, then uh, I like cod liver oil, and then Thank in this you. case, I really like extra virgin cod liver oil. It's the one that is ex- where the oils are cold extracted, so it's well, great. All, all natural. Awesome. Well, that thank you it. so much for being on today. Yes, oh, and I'm pleasure. sorry, we got to catch it up. Yes. Yeah, where can people reach him? CureAMD.org is Dr. Kenobi's uh, foundation, so please check him out for more information. Thanks for listening to Dishing Up Nutrition. If you enjoy this podcast, please share your favorite episodes with a friend or leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or iHeartRadio. The content and opinions expressed are those of the hosts or presenters. They are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Product statements have not been evaluated by the FDA.